You're listening to Crawl Space Radio. I would like to acknowledge that uh, Crawl broadcasts and operates on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and we pay our respect to elders past and present and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. We're in the studio with Clam and Jackie B. Um, <coughs> Jackie B. Yeah, they're both here. They're both ready to go. Um, Clam? Or Jackie B, over to you. Welcome, everybody, to the Clam and Jackie <laughs> B show. No, kidding. Chill, chill, chill. Um, hey, welcome to the Clappy Clam. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the Clam and Jackie Bam show, man. We're slowing it down for this app, taking a chill breeze. We've been on hiatus, on holiday, on vacay. We're back in the building, feeling slightly disoriented. Bam, Jackie B. Yeah, slightly out of whack, but it's okay. We, we've <laughs> orchestrated moments for deep breathing within the show and they're going to help us out and hopefully they help you out as well. Our guts are churning, but we are ready to be live on air. Um, this week we've got White Passing Dread, or a very, at the very least Ashkenazi on Babs behalf, uh, me, it's just white. Um, le- that's a kind of segment about just catching up, getting back. I haven't really seen my co-host for weeks, so it's good to check in hear where we've been at, hear the vibes where we've been traveling, um, you know, yeah, check back in. Um, then we're going to cover a really sad story. Well, a story that I initially thought was hilarious, but after doing research have felt like increasingly moved and upset by, which is the closing of Lentil is Anything in the segment titled Lentil is Nothing. Sorry. Next, we'll follow on with the Vivian Bins show at Mama. Um, lots to say there. And then lastly, I just got off the phone with a guy called Hugo, who is something to do with Lime scooters, e-scooters. We're going to debrief about the new public transport options, or not so public, very expensively private transport options available in our city. Scoot. Should we get into it? Let's do it. I think you So Cam keeps ooh. <laughs> Cam keeps mentioning that uh, we've both been on holiday. It's it's not quite true. I went on holiday a little while ago for about a weekend, but I've been missing Clam's presence now for approximately three weeks. So we're back in action, and I'd, I'd love to know how are you, babe? How is Frio? <laughs> Thank you so much. Frio was sick. Um, I really yeah. It takes a lot to get me out of that non-Melbourne grind set, but when I head out and then take that time to smell the sea breeze, see the backpackers vibing on High Street, see the white dreads and think, thank fuck I moved here, it really gets me energised to come back into Collingwood Yards, see the millennial haven sipping pet now and get back into business. Um, but I guess I haven't seen my co-host really properly. FaceTime, as we know, 
doesn't really cut it. Um, so I wanted to check in. How did their holiday go? How are they feeling? How's their health? What's going on? How are you, baby? Um, well, if I, I don't know. I, I went away to try and get, get into a better mindset to slow it right down. And I've recently lost control of that. So if you don't mind, I'd like to take a minute <laughs> to reflect back to my time in Spewy, um, a place called Newcastle, a wobble country. And um, yeah, tell you all a little story that might help me embody a bit of peace. Where is Spewy? I actually don't know. Um, I don't know either. It's in <laughs> New South Wales and like I, I ran along the harbour and like got a feel for the land and What's stuff. What's like but the I WA equivalent of Spewy? Uh, like Mandra? Is it like Mandra? Mm, yeah, so Mandra is like an hour away, but it's like kind of city-ish. Like Newcastle is still, it's it's got suburbs. It's like still. a town. It's it's pretty big, to be honest. It's like I think Dunsborough? There's some, I heard a, a rumor it was like the seventh biggest city in Australia. And like, the I think it's the biggest coal port in mm. Australia. Anyway, I had a fantastic time there. I was staying with friends who I absolutely love. I dragged another friend down there with me and my sole purpose while I was there was to chill out, go to the beach, smoke a bunch, um, saw a surfing competition, drew a comic. Um, but <laughs> It's like Bab's version of relaxing. <laughs> um, the, the real highlight that stuck with me, though, was I believe it was my last night in Spewy. The first night I was there, there were rumours of a Psytrance festival at the Croatian club, but when we showed up to a park at 10pm <laughs> and everything was dark and we circled it more than three times, it was obvious that partying was not on the agenda, which is good. Um, ultimately, the biggest night of all, um, after quite a big dinner, we were all heading home. I was exhausted and quite a few members of our crew were interested in going out to a karaoke bar called Jams. Mm. Um, Gems? Jams? Jams. Jams. Um, I'm not always the biggest fan of karaoke. I only like pull out three tracks. Do what, what's your? You love it. What's your karaoke song? I think my feeling with karaoke is that I like love it or I hate it. Yeah. Um, and um, I don't know, but Moishi is like amazing at karaoke. I yeah. I normally. I have to be in a particular mood. I can pull off Fack by Eminem or Canned Heat by Jamaraquay, maybe Boulevard of Broken Dreams. So I, wa- I was not in the mood at this stage, but then we were told that Jams isn't just a karaoke bar, it's also a Japanese whiskey bar, which has uh, electronic toilets with bidets. <laughs> and I was extremely interested after a large meal to go and um, clean up a bit, sit down, relax, have have some heated seats. So I, we- I went with everyone else. We went down to Jams. And when we got to the front door, the bouncer of the karaoke bar was like, hey, guys, nice to see you. I'd normally let you in, but the manager wants to come up and have a word with you first. A manager shows up and looks us in the face and goes, all right, everybody, as you very well know, singing and dancing are illegal in New South Wales. Oh, my God, because of COVID. Yeah, it's like, is that the musical Footloose? What? I haven't seen it. Is that the one where you can't sing and dance? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I also haven't seen that. <laughs> so the guy, the guy's like, no singing, no dancing. But of course, this is a karaoke bar. Here are the rules. 
What could you do then? Two people <laughs> could stand on stage and sing and there could be no singing from the crowd and there could be no Shame. dancing. <laughs> and I thought he was joking like a bit, a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We would go downstairs and it would be yeah, a riot. Like, don't wear your mask. Or yeah. just like, you know, maybe it was like a regular bar. Mm. We go downstairs <laughs> and there are two people on stage singing and everyone in the crowd is like arms in the air waving and singing. The music cuts off. Someone jumps on stage, one of the bar staff, as if they're like a camp counsellor and they're like, guys, please stop. Like it was obvious they'd already told please this group of singing. people five years. You know, we, we love to sing and dance and we wished we could sing and dance, but we can't. We can't. That and they're like so in hysterics. <laughs> Um, meanwhile, I'm like seated at the bar. I'm waiting to use the bathroom. I'm getting a single glass of Umeshu, like plum juice, mm. which is my drink of choice. And there's a really rowdy, burly dude beside me. <laughs> and he's like really drunk and getting amongst it, chatting to me heaps. And the bartender goes out of her way to lean over and be like, is this guy disrespecting you? Is he treating you all right and i'm like energy was already high in yeah, the, high they'd be in the stressed. Air. give the hospital guys a break no imagine having to enforce people like yodeling when they're wasted at karaoke the whole the theme of the night was give the hospital guys a break yeah basically what came to the fore is that this one crowd of people in the bar who a friend of mine has described as tony abbott's children were these like strapping young people who were down from sydney and it's then kind the, of like you shouldn't have a karaoke bar open, really. Right? But you got to do what you got to do, I guess. So tensions kept getting higher and higher till the bartenders were like screaming all at once. They kind of merged into this band of people <laughs> being like, no, that's enough. And then the burly Sydney people were like, no, that's enough. And But also being this like is- quite um, righteous, being like, well, excuse me for going to a and asking for a drink. No, it's just like it's like a high school musical. Like, yeah, like, I just the quo. Two of them are like opposite each other, being like, "How we sing if I want to?" It's like, please don't sing in the bar. <laughs> we should have done an ad for that. Like, yeah. well, I wanted to jam the musical from you. COVID rules the musical. So there were already like crowd, the crowds of like these strong women behind the bar yelling, these other strong women yelling. <laughs> Meanwhile, I didn't realise that the crowd of people I had come with who were women and non-binary people but who all revealed themselves as well to be staunch women when push came to shove, basically one of the people in my group started yelling at the Sydney group being like, how fucking loserish are you guys that you would yell at a bartender about this? Stop singing! (laughs) Every single person is yelling. The bartenders try to kick the other people out of the bar and one... (laughs) <laughs> then the burly dude grabs one of my friends by the arm really hard and she happened to be the cousin of my other really good friend who then stood up and stood in front of him. Oh it was chaotic. And then but- his girlfriend stood up and was like, how dare you bully a little boy? How dare you bully a little boy? Mm. But did you get a, a chance to get on the mic? I didn't even get a chance to shit in the toilet, but by the end of the night, and all of this happened within half an hour, which was perfect as far as not wanting to be out at all. By by the end of the night, those people had left after yelling abuse at us and being like, you don't look like you're from Sydney. You're better than this. The, the bartenders then called the cops. Everybody cheered, including, you know, my ACAB crew. Then they came around the bar and 
everyone, including me, I just spoke to my mum about this. I haven't cried in a long time. You Did know you it's cry? a problem. I cried. I haven't cried since even Shame. my cat then died. Then they really had like to get me Adela. Thirteen, and I didn't cry. Okay, these every single one of us cried. We all hugged. The cops came. Did you hug the hospital workers? Oh, the hospital workers who told everybody not to sing because of the risk of COVID suddenly came around and hugged Hospital to hospital solidarity transcends. It was an unbelievable night. I'm, I'm trying that to see if I have any literally more hellish. points. But yeah. Well, I guess in answer to that, I had a super chill time. Um, well, yeah, my qu- <laughs> nothing went wrong. It was really <laughs> relaxing. My learning from it was, okay, Spewy is a place of staunch women. Like, I feel like I'm slowly tracking, like, the dyke hotspots all around this country. Mm. But, like, this was actually more specifically a staunch women club. And my question to you is, during your time in Frio, what what was the staunch rating like? Well, the staunch rating was high, I guess. But the Frio version of staunch is, like, kind of, like, big jangly earrings. Like, low-waisted, like, lycra pants, like, hippie, like, belly button out version, which is quite a, like, specific genre of staunch woman, if you know what I mean. Like, similarly to you, I guess, I spent a, I was in quarantine in Perth for, like, many, many days for reasons I won't go into except that I had to be and that my bitch sister got COVID. And that um, she's already <laughs> spoken about it on ABC daytime TV. No, my mum did that. You were there. She's a publicity fiend. <laughs> anyway, um... <laughs> Apart from that, you know when you go into quarantine and you get that slightly like deadened feeling where you just have to like shut your brain down to just get through the days. Meant when I got out, I was just like just thirsty for activity and thirsty for juice. Like Fremantle is just basically a wasteland that's completely dead apart from like 7-Eleven and a few colonial pubs, except for the Jungle Bar, which is this like crazed hotspot on High Street goes off. Being it was full every single night I went there, which was many nights. The women there were, like, running a racket. They had to shout at people all the time, like, white dreads whipping them in the eyes left, right, and centre. This bar is, like, a Caribbean-themed rum bar that has, like, hundreds of bottles of rum and a really, like, crazy kitsch, like, Jamaica theme. Um, I ordered, like, a thousand rum in de coconut. That's the name on the menu. I'm not, like, you know, doing a uh, Jamaican accent. That's just what I had to say to order it. I'm just saying. I don't um, think you could do one even if you were allowed to do one. I try. I'm like, I was like, can I have a, a coconut? And they're like, what? And I'm like, a, a rum. Like, but in the, and they're like, what? And I'm like, a rum. And they're like, oh, the rum in the coconut. I'm like, please don't make me do this. I just really want the rum in the coconut. <laughs> anyway, I was like dripping rum, rum in the, the coconut. Um, they're like, get out of here, brother. Like, just chill out. Just say the words. Anyway, it was wild there. Like, every time I went there, it was going off. There was like, the time I went there, recently there was like two chicks that kept on trying to bring this huge dog in back and forth and the owners kept being like no like you please like take it away like you can't have it and they're like would come back five minutes later with the dog but then it had this huge the dog had a massive fight with another guy's dog who was standing out the front I was like standing with one of my really old good friends we were like chilling out the front having a cigarette I haven't seen her for months for years actually we're like processing our COVID traumas like we're like oh yeah like you know the, our mental health has been really like struggling like how have you been anyway this guy with standing out there with his dog off a leash and bare feet like huge baggy singlet like you know like the low cut underneath the armpit singlet muscle tees i have a whole drawer of them yeah anyway he was barefoot he had his dog just like roaming he had a fight with the other women's dog he had huge huge white dreads anyway he's like hey, like, mind if I get a cigarette from you guys for $1? We 
we're like, yeah, it's fine. Like you can just have a cigarette. We gave him a cigarette and he's like, thanks. Anyway, then like I turned back to my friend and we're like both being like, yeah, like went to see a psychoanalyst and he's like, sorry to interrupt. Are you talking about psychology? And we're like, yeah. And he's like, I'm actually a therapist. Mind if I jump in? I was like, oh. And I was like, we're having, my friend's like, we're having a pretty like private conversation. He's like, yeah, I just thought like, you know, like I'm a, I'm a therapist. Like I'm a therapist. I'm like, dude, you just asked me to buy a cigarette for $1. Like I really like, God bless you. Like have, have go on your journey, do what you got to do. But like, I, it's not the kind I'm looking for. Well, I'm looking for a psych. So maybe did you take his card? No, I thought about it for you. I was like, this is going to be a guy that could really chat with Babs. But the, I think I need to halt my judgment because the kind of lesson that I learned from this, which feeds into our next segment, is that like the je ne sais quoi and enthusiasm of the backpacker demographic literally enlivened me the whole time I was in Fremantle. Like, obviously, this guy was on a bit of a tweaked journey, but like the other backpackers I was chilling with were so fun. They love life. My friend like literally picked up a 20-year-old German guy just by asking him for a bump on a back street. He's like, you want to come back to my bunk bed? I was like, dude, I think you should just go back to yours. It's fine. Anyway, she was like basically being a backpacker milf on the streets. It was invigorating. So there's like still a backpacker class running the streets of Frio. So many. Because the borders have been locked. Like how long have they been there? Oh, that's what I mean. I'm like, that's their spirit that is aspirational in that it's like you – I would like be freaking the F out and head back to Berlin or whatever, but they all just are happy to chill there for months on end, like sleeping in like rank, all the COVID outbreaks are in the like rank little backpacker hostels, but they're still just like chilling at the jungle bar vibing. I love it. I heard during the peakest lockdown, Irish backpackers in St Kilda were like keeping the culture alive, like having sort of street parties. I'm I'm really into it. I know some people just know how to live. They do know how to live. And, like, I know they get a bad rap, but, like, I went to the Bondi drum circle and I've never felt more alive. Cute. Um, speaking of, should we go on to our next episode? Because we recently we, – we, we'll introduce it in a second, actually. Sorry. We'll, we'll take a short commercial <laughs> break. Take Enjoy. a break. Inhale. Exhale. In, out. And in, in, into the Chakra Warehouse, because our lease is ending very soon and these crystals have got to go. Rose Quartz. Discounted! Sterling Silver Bells. Discounted! Elephant Pants. Discounted! Hostel Bunk Bed Slash! Spirituality is going, 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 gone! Nama. Stay at home if you want to miss out on a massive fucking deal like an absolute sore loser! Okay, now we're on to the hard, hard news segment, which is that Lentil as Anything has officially closed down. What was the date that it closed? Its official last day was Sunday night. I went for dinner on Saturday. Across the board, been known to go out with a fizzle and not with a bang, partially because it's mired in deep, deep financial troubles. Um, as the age reports, Lentils launched a GoFundMe bid in January to raise $400,000, but only received 3435 But this is after a previous GoFundMe in October of 2020, which was the year that people were, I would say, across the board, a lot more inclined to give a fuck about GoFundMe's. Uh, 
they got $400,000, but have since then been investigated by like, I don't know, they've had some like independent independent financial audit. It's all gone to shit. They've gone essentially bankrupt and now they've quietly and sadly closed their doors. Um, I guess to start, well, in this segment, I guess we want to talk about the history of lentils, the sad demise, uh, what the vibe was there, what it meant for people in Melbourne. And I guess we'll start off with Babs, your experience eating there on a on the penultimate day. What was it like? For some foundation, especially those listening from the west side, um, Lentils is Anything is a series of restaurants which are run on a pay-as-you-feel model and are uh, managed basically exclusively by volunteers, bar a few paid staff, and it's meant to be a community enterprise, which is just about kind of being connected to your local community. It's kind of like an alternative to the pub in some ways. And it seems that for people who've grown up here, considering it's been around for 20 years, it's played a really big part in people's lives, especially young and old. Mm -hmm. Um, Friends of mine said that in high school, they used to find out where the liquor was stored in the Abbotsford one and trek from St Kilda and then go get absolutely smashed out the back in the room where uh, life drawing and Spanish classes was held. Which one is that, the St Kilda one? The, that, I didn't even that happened in the Abbotsford one. Yeah, or maybe it was a while ago. I'm not mm. sure. About, times have changed. You know, it hasn't always been a vegan haven. Apparently, there used to be eggs and there was a lot of drama when that shifted. Um, mm. So, it's a place with like – well, we had we had two insiders who gave us the scoop. And um, it's a place Very basically with sources. three demographics. Number one, vegans. Number two, freeloaders slash students. And number three – elderly people no number four and most importantly backpackers and backpackers yeah yeah Yeah. majors i guess they they kind of count in the freeloader section but they're not really freeloaders because i feel like they give a lot or they're of the genre of person which is like the worst kind of freeloader which like tries to give a lot but still like takes more yeah but things that they're giving i think that's the vibe of most of the volunteers that we were told by a friend that there was so normally what happens there is you can just show up for lunchtime and then you work over dinner and then eat. And I think it's really easy to get hooked. Apparently most people that go and volunteer for one night will sort of stay every day for about a month, which happened to a friend of ours. Our um, source said that they become lentilified. Is that yeah, the word? that was the word, which I love. And, and his main concern now at the end of lentils is what happens to those that are lentilified where do they go? What do they do? Like once it's such a big part of your identity mm. and once you've taken it on as an official community, where do you go when that's over? And where do you run your esoteric workshops? Like I personally have found it quite difficult to find random libraries to run random shit in. I wish I had known I could have done random stuff there, but we were told, for example, about um, a, a few volunteers. Like there was a volunteer named Milo who exclusively made chai lattes, mm. would refuse to work anywhere else in the business. <laughs> oh my God, wait, can I interrupt? Sorry. That just reminded me of, I've been like trolling the um, Brunswick community Facebook pages because there's just always like really whack funny shit in there. That reminds me at the new Brunswick Lentils, which was um, follow on from the short, it was a short lived follow up from the Thornbury Lentils. I sent Babs a photo the other day of a nine year old child grinning with a perfectly poured lot latte being like i love making lattes at the lentils anything i was like her mom was like i'm so proud of you honey i'm like dude like what go to the union like this is not right 
I was like, get some braces, bitch. <laughs> anyway. I did a barista course as a teenager, but my fine motor skills really let me down. I still can't make coffee at all. The Another example of a volunteer we learned about um, was some dude who um, wanted to run workshops on pickup artistry, <laughs> how, to, how to pick up chicks uh, in the buffet line at Lentils, but as a serious no, not operation. not in the buffet line. He just probably had other, like, tips and tricks. No, but, like, he wanted to – our source told us he would volunteer there and, like, very aggressively and overtly pick up chicks in the but line. But specifically, like, backpackers. He's like yeah. – it's like, you know how you should, like, never ask someone, like, where are you from? He's like, always ask someone where they're from. <laughs> He's like, Germany, Sweden, whatever you like. <laughs> it's like playing that geotag game that's popular right now where you get dropped somewhere in the world, but you're like just dropped in front of a random backpacker oh and you have to pinpoint on a map where they're from. I forgot to say, that's what I was going to tell you now that we're back in the studio. I was playing that game with my brother and I was back in Perth and we had like a hilarious like lentils anything, I guess-ish dinner, so it's kind of relevant to the theme. Which is that it's like you make do with what you got. Like I went to his house for dinner. He's like a little bit younger than me, so a massive chiller, like a tradie, just lives with like another tradie dude. We like made like salmon and broccolini. We like finished cooking and he's like, Oh shit. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it was well, it was delicious. And he was like, what could go wrong? He's like, Oh, like fuck. I'm like, What's the problem? And he's like, Oh, like all good, all good. I'm like, what is it? And he's like, Oh, uh, he's like, you can have the fork. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, all good. And they, they had literally one fork in their entire house. He like sits me down and he's like, no worries. I'm like, you can't eat the fucking broccolini with a spoon. We like shared this meal, like passing a fork back and forth. I was like, it's really about the company you share and like making do with what you got. I anyway. think there's a lot of intimacy in that moment. And also, I do believe in making do what you, with what you've got. Half the furniture in my house right now is literally made of cardboard. But, okay, on the theme of making do with what you've got, I think the issue with lentils is that they did make do with what they got, had. <laughs> um, and that also, like, what they did obviously have was extreme charisma in the form of their founder. Like, lentils, anything, was not really obviously a restaurant in so much as it was a cult. Um, who? What's his name? Sh- Shanika. Shanika Fernando is the guy's name. So the guy that ran it, did you watch his TED Talk? Yeah, I watched all, all 18 minutes of it. I watched all 18. I was kind of like sad when it finished. I thought it was going to be going into more detail. I thought he was outstanding. He wasn't even pitching lentils. He, he said nothing about he lentils. He kind of just started off by like painting a picture of his childhood as like a middle-class Sri Lankan. And he was really like harsh on his early childhood. He's like, I lived a life of excess. You know, we would stay <laughs> up late and watch American late night TV. Disgusting. Like he sounded no, like he, a Maoist. He was like, he said some weird shit. He's like, he's like, we didn't live an honest life. We listened to Bing Crosby. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's fine, dude. Like, you know, music like shifts like cultures or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, then he like moves to Melbourne and he starts studying law and and it's like, no matter where, you, whatever, like what journey you're on, there is nothing more appealing than the genre of story of like someone that like was doing a corporate hack job and then like left it all behind to like go and like follow the dreams, of, which is exactly what this is. He's like, I couldn't. What did he? No, really- he said. He said he realized that truth and justice <laughs> were distant cousins, which I loved. Sounds very truth Jewish. And, truth and justice are distant cousins. I know. Well, I was like. I guess that truth and like financial management are also like very distant cousins in this case. Um, anyway, he 
What? Yeah, the TED Talk, like the middle of it, he basically goes into this like elaborate list of anecdotes about like how much he fucked when he was on Backpacker Journey. Did you notice that? Yeah, I kind like, of loved five it. Five minutes, he's like, he's like, I left the law school. Like I wanted to go find myself. He's like, I went and stayed in a Buddhist monastery. Yeah, I fucked a nun. And then I told the Dalai Lama. <laughs> and then I came back and started lentil as anything. <laughs> I told the Dalai Lama that Hugh Hefner and Buddhist nuns have one thing in common and that's like that their robes are too easy to take off. Well, it was quite good timing because um, – Friend of the radio show Oscar Schwartz just published an essay called What Was the TED Talk? Which was this kind of like cultural study of the phenomenon of the TED Talk. Um, and there's one really good quote in it where Oscar writes that um, whenever he – he's heard a business journalist saying that whenever he wants to find a story, he just watches a TED Talk and figures out what the person is lying about, which is yeah, I felt, I felt like the main truth in this one was like – that this this guy likes to fuck. I thought he had a really good sense of humor. Um, no, he didn't. Yeah, I, I laughed ass. and I wrote in my notes. Funny, very charismatic. I'm sorry. This is like a main. This is the main like hot quote that he says. <laughs> we call ourselves a human race, but it's not a race. It's not a competition. I prefer the term humankind. It implies kindness. Well, it's funny because like it, weeping it, at their laptop. He's speaking. <laughs> Oh, the day I weep. I wish. Um, he he really was speaking as if he was some sort of like 19th century man of the world, like <laughs> running around finding himself, but then like pair that with this like really specific idea of freedom. Um, I don't know, especially the way he was talking about like being intimate with people. He told one gag about like meeting a man on the street in a certain country and within hours being at his wife's parents' house and ending up in bed with her and her mother-in-law. But don't worry, nothing happened. And he's kind of waiting <laughs> so for the bad. crowd to get uncomfortable. It's because you I, have, like, pick-up artist energy, so you're like, all right, <laughs> like, the mom's in the bed too. It's like, no. I, li- I like you Just that. imagine, it's like, you know those memes that Meryl Actuals has been doing that's like the first time you're going clubbing, it's like, it's like it's 2008, it's like, it's 2007, you're a German backpacker, you rock up, rock up in lentils, anything Abbotsford. It's like, it must have been utopia for people. Um, our secret source actually told us uh, that Sh- what's Shanika. 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 It's just like how you mispronounce Hanukkah. Hanukkah. <laughs> Lentils as Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Lentils as Shanika. How do you say Hanukkah? Hanukkah. Anyway, don't I'm worry not about gonna it. try that. Um, <laughs> Cam's gonna buy a conversion in New York for twenty five dollars. Hanukkah. Um. Anyway, twenty five dollars. What a deal. <laughs> U.S. Um. Anyway, Shanika. He. What did he say? Oh, yeah. He apparently gave our source, our unnamed source, Lentil is Anything Insider, uh, a couple of condoms printed with the Lentil is Anything logo saying, pay as you feel. Pay as you feel. And then it said, it's my first time, be Lentils. <laughs> I really don't like that. I don't like puns at all, but I think it's so good that he's obviously committed to this one bit for years and years and years. Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, the pay as you feel, whatever. Oh, yeah. We'll wrap it up. We'll wrap it up. But like. It's sad. Like, I don't know. I On the one hand, when I moved, first moved here, I went to Lentil and had a similar, like, epiphany or, like, feeling of euphoria where I was like, I have moved to the best city in the world. Then I went back there and I'm like, I just want to, like, pay the cost of a meal. Like, I don't want this confusion. Like, I feel racked with guilt, whatever I do. Or, like, on the inverse, I feel like I've paid too much. It's just, like, I don't know. I think it's fine in this in this epoch, this era we live in to just, like, price a meal. 
I am going to miss, though, that, like, it's it's a cliche, but actually Vivian Binns has something about cliches revealing universal truths. I do like the kind of dilemma that eating as lentils poses. Like, it's all about simplicity, but it's, like, overly complicated. Pay what you feel. Like, um, the comedian Magic Steven, I remember once made a gag at his gig being like, but how do you know what you, what you feel? Like, what do you feel? <laughs> and I was laughing eating a meal last week, like, whatever. I became vegan when I was, like, 14, but I was, like, Peter Singer pilled like really into utilitarianism and just like really like thinking about the crux of shit. And anyway, my philosophy was and like has been um, that I won't eat anything that is sentient. So I only eat non-sentient like whatever. So it's like the worst version of that because it's not eat what you feel. It's eat things that only feel the way you feel. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> I will also say that Babs used to eat gigantic beef sandwiches that I would bring from my cafe job, which is the other thing. It's just like when you've worked in hospital, I'm like, God, like it just seems very excruciating to go there for free. But I mean, people obviously got a lot. People genuinely got a lot out of it and got a lot of community out of it. And like, it is genuinely sad that it's closed. Well, the um, reason he chose food is because he he's, he used food as his medium. He was like, how do I convince people to live a life of connection and simplicity? No, how do I convince people to live a life of like devotion to me, the cult leader? I think a little bit. I'm being a bitch, but also like you have to have like insane egomaniacal cultish energy to pull something off like that, which is like props to you for Yeah, literally props to him. That. Like it, that it's the reason why we have so many things because the world is filled with fantastic individual artists with so much genius and power and and we and we should bow down to them. Yeah. Thank you lentils. Um Okay, um, we'll we'll move on for the moment, but like maybe just take a moment, say a little prayer for lentils, think about the way you're feeling, eat your feelings. <laughs> Imagine what you would pay if you were like feeling what you were feeling right now. Oh yeah, I would also, pay probably like six to seven dollars. The classic gag when you le- leave lentils is like, "Haha, did you pay for that? How much did you pay for that?" And where, anyway, you're cocked if the, you do and cocked the, if you don't. Right, exactly, but even worse right now, like on the second last night or whatever, I I paid for my meal and How then much I suppose you paid. I paid fifteen bucks. Really? And then when that's it, going to the embezzlement. I know that's the thing. I ran into someone who was like, "Haha, you paid. That's so silly. You know that's just going into the liquidation fund." <laughs> You're just paying money back to banks. And I'm like, wow, it's really... That's all right. Whatever. No. There's no such thing as a good way to spend money. You it's know what it is? Thing. That is karmic juice you just invested in the universe. So good yeah, for you. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Rest in peace, Lentil. <laughs> she lived in a world where the steak tartare was perfect and you paid $45 for it if that's what the menu said. Didn't matter what you felt about it. But Barbara wanted more. Her desire to pay what she felt was so great that to satisfy herself on the inside, she volunteered a lentil as anything in Melbourne on the outside. Barbara Streisand plays lentil in the heartwarming theatre production of the beloved movie starting this March at the Arts Centre. All the things she wanted to be, she could, man. Everything she wanted to know, she could ask, bro. Any way she wanted to feel, she could pay, cunt. Lentil. It's a Broadway superstar who pays what she feels and she loves it. Tickets on sale now. If you're like me, and you believe sharing is caring, and you really value community, and you believe in reuse, not waste, 
why don't we share together? What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. We can use things, the same objects. We can use objects that make us feel better about ourselves. That's right. The Coburg Sex Toy Library is available to all local residents. Join me. Let's come together. Ooh, filthy. Oh, um, sorry. It's me. It's me. Oh, we're on low, low energy tonight. Sorry, everyone. Sorry, yeah, I don't listeners. know if you could hear that in that um, Barbara Streisand Yentl Lentil adaptation, but the the energy is low. Your host has had a difficult week, but we've pulled it up. I've been to the Viv Bin show not once, but twice uh, because I am working. Well, actually, anyway, I'm there at Monash. Um, the so for context, for listeners that haven't been, there's currently a show on at MAMA, the Monash University Museum of Art. Thank you for explaining that. I literally Mama. still don't know what MAMA stands Mama. for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of infantilizing. Yeah. They're trying to be like, have it, they have it in big, bold type. Nice nice building. Nice industrial building. Yeah, great um, windows. Anyway, they've got a show on at the moment. It's a big retrospective of an artist called Vivian Bins, who is an Australian woman artist who started work in the 60s in Sydney and was part of this kind of like whole countercultural scene or whatever, psychedelic stuff, um, and then transitioned into making these like long-term community projects, then re-transitioned into making paintings, a lot of them which Babs, like, I don't know what you thought about this, but, like, a lot of them in the 90s are using, like, hectic kind of, like, First Nations stop painting imagery because I feel like people at that time were, like, I don't know, having to have this, like, reckoning with colonialism and so they were just, like, remaking First Nations painting. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. Basically, it's a massive survey of her work and it's I think it's a really interesting and good show. I guess last episode we talked about the Chanel show, which was, like, a glossy Chadston hellscape. This is, like someone that has toiled away in essentially like with very little recognition for her whole life has been making heaps of work in like really different mediums really different ideas really like cool at times uncool at other times which is good because you don't want someone to just like bang out the hits over and over again wait but also she is really recognized isn't she like the figure of australian um, feminist art in that like or proto-feminist in well, the 70s yeah I guess she is because like basically for context she made this artwork called Vag Dens which is really famous in the it was I think it's from 1968 but it got kind of swept up in the early 70s because there was this whole like movement of central core painting which is like basically pussy art but not cringe like it is now and like actually cool at the time it's more vague they're like kind of blurry circles in different and it has teeth and has like psychedelic imagery and also like the thing that is important to remember about bins is that she gets kind of like co-opted in this she's just whenever anyone writes art history it's like really convenient to find people that just fit into an easy narrative so i guess you're right in that she was lionized as like an early feminist artist and they were like and then feminism and here's bins like she made the vagina painting she also made a, a huge dick painting called Phallic Monument that's right next door to it and looks fantastic. And then B, like 50 more years of practice. And the reason why this show is good be- is because like while that early work would have been showed, the later work and her like as an end of career artist hasn't really been exhibited that much. Hey, watch knowledge. yourself. She's not end of career. She's hey, like we 85. Get in, no, you're getting, I get in trouble. I like Spare try to catch me. up with 
older artists and no, you can't talk about people as if they're dead when they're not. She's definitely still she's not making dead, work. But she's fucking old. She's not at the end of her career. People live a long time these old days. Old people like so what's ageism. I'm like, yeah, also, obviously it's fine. But so like- we read two really good reviews of her work at different time. Helen Hughes wrote a great review about a show, uh, the last retrospective she had in 2018 at Sutton Gallery. So this mm. is like her fourth retrospective in her life, and she's going to have um, an accompanying one at the MCA in Sydney. And then we also read. Vicky Perrin's review um, and both of them were speaking about like or more 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 um, Helen actually so this show is like mainly of her paintings and it's quite interesting because within the course of her these past six decades she took two decades off um, to explore community-based work because she decided that studio-based painting practice in its like really solo capacity mm. wasn't the kind of life she wanted which I really love and respect like I just did my first like mostly solo show ever and I like hated it I really feel like there's no point in doing things by yourself so I really appreciate that she yeah like intentionally broke even though she'd had so much success by herself the other thing to think about I guess is like even when you're saying that and what's like crazy when you see like this is why those old artists get offended when we like try and say that there has been so like when you see a massive show like this it's like think about how much shit everyone's churned out in the last like three years and then it's like people like in the 70s Binz was doing this like it's like decades of work like she was doing that community work for like yeah two decades or something but and then they conveniently just like push it in the hallway mama this no, definitely- i like how they put it in the hallway what did you like about it well just that like i think that they were trying to for they were trying to like focus on her later painting work which i thought was like okay but not as interesting as the other work which is also like on the level of sensibility i think because definitely because i fully disagree with you really? i like didn't really mind the, like the 70s stuff at all there were a couple more like psychoanalytic things she did, did straight like out those? of uni which were a bit better like this kind of like wood layered block canvas painting my favorite works in the whole show were her paintings in the 90s which were these um massive acrylic works where she's worked acrylic paint as if it were to make it look as if it were woven plastic Mm. and she's taken squeegees which i'm obsessed with like do you clean with a squeegee at home? I, like, don't clean that much. <laughs> um, <laughs> now I'm, like, fog. <laughs> so um, as far as feminist art there. practice goes, um, a squeegee <laughs> is, like, a uh, sort of plastic rubber flat thing that you squish water away from yourself in. Um, it's good in, like, a flat shower, sort of. Um, and she had developed a practice of cutting slits in squeegees so they became combs. And she made these layered, gridded paintings where she would sort of, like, comb over pre-existing paintings or textile works. Um, and then the after effect looked as if it was kind of that, like, um, mass-produced, woven um, mm. plastic but cord thing. Isn't I love it like those. She's replicating, like, tarpa fabric, which is, like, a Pacific Islander fabric, right? Is yeah. that what Vicky writes? Yeah, she... Um, well, it's also like she she writes it there explicitly. She wear they're called tarpa bark cloths and designs. Um, she she like spent a period in the nineties. Um, it's it's funny the way the copy's written on the wall. It, it's yeah, like, like literally being, like how I wrote my honors thesis. Mm. It's so intense. It's like she intentionally situates herself as a white woman on Aboriginal land in the Pacific region, and yeah. she does this whole like Pacific it's like region she's doing cultural focus. appropriation, but it's chill. Mm, I, guess. I think I think it was like. Really like 
I don't know, whatever, well-intentioned. If Sharnika could, like, run all around the world, like Viv Bins can as well. But she were, she was interested in the um, tapabar clo- cloths and designs, and then it kind of expanded at different points um, in general mm-hmm. to, like, three main things. One is this, like, appreciation for, um, like, I think almost capital D design, like, design that's sort of just around us in in the form of textiles or like wallpapers or floors um things which are what she calls done by the unknown artist and a lot of these things are sort of like grid oriented i'm really i love fabric i really i we've spoken about it tweed tartan all of it so it was really fun to see how she was able to translate her appreciation for I, I reckon, like, literally interior design in the domestic space in, in the medium mm. of painting. Yeah, I mean, I think those ones I was, like, less drawn to. I was kind of intrigued by a lot of those big wall paintings in that I thought that they were, like, purposefully appropriating First Nations paintings from, like, the 80s and 90s as a kind of, like, gesture of cultural engagement, which I'm, like, politically now that seems, like, incredibly fraught. But then I'm, like, it was – I guess it's an interesting, like, marker of a different time – but the, I don't really think that you the don't wall, think the giant vagina things were also like a marker of that. No, but I think that like the wall text, thinking. like the wall text, don't really engage with that or like make those references. Like for example, like one of them looks like heaps, like it's referencing like a Clifford Possum Chapel Jari, probably like pronouncing that wrong, but like paintings that are like quite famous from that time. But it's like I don't really feel like they could like curatorially say that because it's kind of not or courant as they would say. Mm. Like that's just kind of a bit that was omitted but then but but their works like speak for themselves in that capacity there's this whole room which is kind of like screaming mm. like oh god i'm part of a lineage of captain cook what do i do about it like Like, those are a bit they're a bit cringe to me though that's why like i don't it's kind of like they put them in that's why i'm drawn to the earlier works though like they were obviously trying to be like oh these have already been lionized but like we're trying to like show her later practice and i'm like this is a sad thing as well where people like we make work our whole life i'm like Well, realistically, like a lot of people make most of their good work when they're kind of young or like in a short burst of inspo and like you're not going to have a hit every single decade. Fully, but like it was cool she had a hit over the extent of a whole decade, like the 90s stuff. There are some works on the walls which have been credited as if they were painted over the space in 10 years in in reference to... um, (laughs) um, in reference to like original paintings that she had painted on top of. I also mm. want to add another thing that really drew me to those works besides the um, pattern focus and the love of interior design. Like I, I have one special friend in particular. We we love like just like staring at a motif in a house and being like, who thought of that pattern, that thing? So I, I love that she's um, paid attention to that and tries to find ways to like psychically, psychically connect to the unknown artist. Yeah, but, but the other thing I love is like, in the in the those massive works she creates what i have called in my like in my shit i do i like um often make things i call metaverses where like i'll create a context <laughs> and then within it i'll make these like okay. micro narratives <laughs> like in this comic i just did which is set in recycle boutique there's like a swamp hidden in a laundry bin and there's like a secret bar at the back and there's a hot tub in a bag and it was so cool <laughs> something, <laughs> something i love about like Re- babs always sends me the drafts of their like comics and like you know uh output and they're like what do you think and i'm like 
I'm like, it's so funny. Like, I love it. And they're like, did you get the bit where there was like the swamp with like the like guy like buying like muesli? I'm like, no. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, yeah, well, it's good to have examples of people who do that really well. And Viv Bins kills it. She does these massive paintings which have um, voids in them, these like mm-hmm. circles, these entrances into tiny micro works, which stylistically are quite different to the large painting I, and use a different painting style. And it's it's really cool and really interesting as far as a different take on the central core or void practice. Yeah, I guess they are like alternate versions of that. I think I'm just like on a sensibility level more drawn to the ones that have more like explicit feminist or like narrative content. So the other works in the like first room and second room a lot of them are these images of vagina dentata, which is this kind of like mythic imagery of this, yeah, I guess, gnashing pussy. But it's interesting, like, did you read that bit in the war text verbs where they say that um, Bins didn't actually know about that as a like long-term mythic figure? Because like all throughout mythic history, there's this kind of imagery of the vagina dentata, but she didn't know say, about say it. Say more, what do you- dentata as in oh it's like a vagina with teeth yeah like a castration image anyway she didn't know about it and she just like produced it so i guess i feel like i'm drawn to that in and it's like the opposite of like a pomo like image you know like always borrowing and referencing it's like the idea of like innate images that come from like deep in the psyche or some like archetypal things i'm on a spiritualist trip at the moment i'm um, into that well, like the- you know the other ones that are kind of like the mary lunig ones that are these like jungian archetypes it's like this idea it's i guess it's a bit gauche because it has this kind of essentialist tendencies of like some innate like feminine mystique things these like essentially feminine or like feminized images of like pregnancy and like exploding pregnant bellies and like people crawling out of vaginas like it's a bit naff but i kind of like it but but she toys with it like there were a series of drawings as well where i think the title was like is an adolescent a boy and it's showing a changing body at teenagehood and the body's kind of contorting between like being an entire body that becomes different kinds of genitals like Mm. it's kind of a mix of those things but it's it's funny what you say about like this this idea of like the truth or these like recurring motifs seeping out in people's ideas, even when they don't know what's happening. There was a quote in, um, I don't know if it was Vicky or Helen's one, but um, about a quote of been saying that patterns are good because they only let a little bit through mm-hmm. that. They like disguise the hand of their designer, which is super interesting. Like to think about the way that art and especially painting can communicate ideas and even though there's this emphasis on like gesture and like the ability to see where the artist made their mark there's also this hiding and there's just like sharing of like a not that there can be a universal idea but like kind of um a practice of connecting it feels like what she's doing especially with her grid practice and some of her works which are framed in an expanded field peter tyndall way like she's put like Mm. made this kite painting with these wooden planks all around the outside and grids that seem more expansive she's like trying to show that her paintings are connected to other people's ideas and practices artists non-artists designers non-designers and i kind of appreciate that also in the context of the feminist ideas you're speaking about yeah i guess so. like she's not disconnected from those like psychoanalytic theories either like she she would have been 
especially in in those decades like affected as a, like, a dominant discourse as a like retrospect like i think it reminds me a little bit like of when we were doing talking about elizabeth newman's exhibitions and um thinking about like i was talking to someone who went to see an elizabeth newman retrospective so it's like same like form of the exhibition of like looking back on someone's career and they were like oh it wasn't that interesting in that form because a lot of the paintings are just like iterations of the same thing the same form the same styles the same ideas like explored over and over again essentially for like 30 or 40 years which isn't to say that they're bad but they just look good in a certain context whereas like something I like about this bins exhibition is that it's pretty like misc like there's so many different forms content each room is like she's gone on a totally different journey which is like you would hope if you were working for like 60 years mm. like how sad would it be if we were still talking about lentils anything in like 2090 or whatever fingers crossed there is there is also though a quote of her where she says that she takes on diversity as a practice so she sees all of the different ways she styled things as being connected to one another which is also like a good way to think about a life as well because it's quite (laughs) easy to like point to that decade and be like no I'm throwing that away but like that or there are threads that come through things and connect them Mm. um Cam, would you do me a favor and and tell the the crowds a little bit about a music festival that launched yesterday? Yes, we have a very special inclusion on the show today, which is that Real Art, which is an Instagram only uh, exhibition platform, is hosting a virtual music festival called Bummer of Love, the worst summer of your life. Um, the text they've sent us is like, well. I'll read it out and Bab's like, you interpret it for me. I'm just like here for the ride. I got I got like the equivalent of a free wristband and like free beer and like took the pinger and I'm here for the ride. You, I feel like, are deep in the theory. They have proposed it as US imperialism on your radio, TV and Spotify wrapped Californication with Australian characteristics. What is it? F- and what are the songs? A fake music festival. Um, Bummer of Love, it's an assortment of... Uh, songs and music videos that uh, incredibly talented people, friends, artists have put together. They're really fucking funny. They're mostly like uh, mashups of archival footage online from like ads and sort of iconic um, surf, surf and America and coast adjacent kind of like. Um, I don't know. You know that I don't know anything about music. So like, what, what are these like, bands? I think it's meant Paramount? to be like, no, it's like meant to be like Woodstock 99, but like communist, right? <laughs> but like these guys are like Woodstock 99, communist. but I think like 2007. Com- more like 2007. Comstock 2007. It, yeah, it's... Anyway, the, we got we have we had three tracks that we were able to choose. Um, one of them was a powder powder finger cover that we uh, I declined. Sorry, Babs. Um, the other one we'll play at the end, which is by like each of them have a fake band and then a fake song name. So there's one that we'll play at the end called Stockland uh, Band Song Name Products a suburban hardcore relic that goes for the jugular of the family man and the core of control societies. Uh, and then now we'll play as a brief interlude a band called Lucky Charms track Lost My Wings. Uh, a neo. Po- oh, wait, wait, wait. Sorry, Sam. Thanks. I, it, it's a neo post grunge reactionary anthem. Check out at Real Art on Instagram to watch the rest of it. It's two R's and two T's, and it's fantastic. The last time Cam and I were at a music festival together, we jumped over the same ladder at, um, what was it? 
Laneway Festival. Laneway, St. Jerome's Laneway Festival. We jumped the same ladder to get into the crowd. We were Since, then, <laughs> since then, our class consciousness has gone through the roof. Through the roof. Anyway, hit it. Tired from holding onto everything that's fading. These hands used to be so strong. Now the past is all they own. Thinking back to when I could hold you.
Wow, 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 wow. Rock out. I'm in the front row, brother. <laughs> Special shit. So just yesterday, I was chatting to a local expert on e-bikes and sustainable transport and got an insider's perspective into how these horrid green and orange complementary colour scooters ended up on the streets of Melbourne and the city of Yarra and I forget the third inner city council. The LGAs, as they call them. LGAs. Um, So this person told me that um, he helped put together a report for the city of Melbourne's bid to get the rights to do the scooters. Mm. This report used a measurement tool to figure out which LGAs deserve the special right to have the scooters. An index known (laughs) as nothing other than the Scoopy Index. The Scoopy Index, which looks at a geospatial analysis of the factors likely to predict latent demand for e-scooter. No. Right. So they basically This is the radio show. <laughs> this isn't your job, please. <laughs> Sorry. So the the Scoopy index looked at six um, factors that would <laughs> Who show, show I mean, it's <laughs> fucking funny. Scoopy index. Bureaucrat content, girl. <laughs> no, there were six reasons they decided which suburbs People should have it, which was about like population density, tertiary student density, whatever, whatever. And they also as a measure of whether the things are a success or not, plan to ask people who use the scooters, what mode of transport would you have used if you had not Mm. been able to use a scooter? So my question to you, Cam, I know you took your first scooter ride today. Congratulations. I I rode here and it was fucking fast. I'll say that much. I wanted to ask, all things considered, if you were to pick six factors for your Scoopy Index, what would be the six factors that would get you to be more likely to use a scooter? Sick time, pretty fast ride. Uh, <laughs> what is the acronym? Sick time, cool bike. Uh, um, I felt scared on the road. <laughs> pretty hectic that I was allowed to ride it since I don't have a driver's license. I think O is for O bikes suck. Appar- I felt scared because I didn't have a helmet. It didn't have a helmet. I actually got to one and it didn't have a helmet and I was like, I should be safe and got to another one and it still didn't have a home. They don't let helmet. you ride without a helmet. Well, they do. You just say like, they say, do you have the helmet? Say, yes. Ooh, and then you get... You could get I, charged for that. No, I had that concern and then I went back and as I parked, I was like, I really don't want this to happen. I got there. It was like, where's your helmet? And I was yeah. like, fuck. And then it was like, got a problem. And I clicked it and was like, it was like, uh, you have put the helmet back on. I was like, <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> but I yeeted it down Smith Street. Like, have you, you rode one? Right? I've ridden quite a bunch. I love when they yell at you. Like I left one out the back of the chemist warehouse at St Kilda and I thought I locked it up, but I didn't. And it starts screaming and making noises like, warning, warning, stop doing bad <laughs> things. Security will come. They're stop. Very ac- like it rode me, honestly. Like yeah. I was like, every time I pressed the button, I was like, whoa, getting like jerked down the street i also through babs like deep connects like got the number of a guy called uh hugo who is somehow connected to the lime he's the big boss of lime i got the number for the boss of lime australia the and the boss, boss of, of neuron lime. neuron has richard he and was, um lime has he hugo. was really f- i don't think he's gonna listen to the show because i kind of like purposefully didn't really like tell him where it was it's just like what well, it was like an art radio show he's he was, probably too busy scooting well, around now that i have a new like pr job i kind of feel like i know my way around the media landscape and like when you talk to like aka our sources from lentils they give you really good juice because they're like tell you actual stuff whereas PR hardened maniacs like Hugo from Lime just like give you the short shrift and give you no juice like I'm like so like there was no helmet like how shit is that he's like 
we're working on it. He had this really bombing British accent. He's like, mm, sorry to hear that, Cam. Really sorry you had a bad ride. Um, I will make sure to get onto that ASAP. I'm like, okay, well, you probably won't. These micro enterprises with the way they deal with feedback are hilarious. Yeah. The other mode of transport that hit the summer, um, hit this city over the summer was the zip line. I'm not sure if you caught it in time, but there was a fucking zip line that was implemented over the Yarra River during the summer. It cost $50 to get across. And the Wait, ri- just for context, so for the listeners know, my line bike from Parliament Station to the Collingwood Yards Hellscape cost $8.49 and I did get the free month trial of being like a line boss. Really? You did that? Yeah, it's a free month trial. Oh, it's free. Okay. But I'm, I still told you how much it would have cost. I put it in the Google. Ca- no, you still have to pay. It gives you a $1 discount. Oh my God. I know. Well, that's the, Oiva, that's boy, the dilemma. I'm like, does this count as public transport? Does it not like the mode of public transport transport we have is that the government contracts private enterprises to supply services and then makes a subsidy so that tickets are cheaper whereas Mm. in this case the scooters actually pay the city of melbourne to be in the city and the prices are as they are and surprisingly they they are making a little bit of a profit Um, by contrast another mode of public transport that popped up over the city the zip line um so if you go onto their Google reviews, this is one of those micro enterprises. Wait, so can I just say, is yeah. the zipline takes you from the Flinders Street Station to the other side? I think of the it Yara. takes you from the other side of the Yarra to the Flinders Street Station side. And the thing that upset people the most is once you get to the other side, you then have to walk back across <laughs> the bridge to return your material. Like a, a, so a, a review I got was, "What great stuff! Absolutely top notch. It's a fun experience. My only criticism is the price. At forty nine dollars, it costs two dollars." a second to ride which is almost <laughs> as expensive as a line no, bike no a line bike is 45 cents a minute oh really yeah um, which the, is still kind of it's expensive yeah it's, it's expensive it's the, not public this one goes for, for the price they make you carry the equipment back across the river I was saying to my friend on the walk, a 15-minute helicopter ride would have been way more worth it, TBH. <laughs> but they're one of those businesses that's responded to every single review on Google Reviews. No. So their review for this one is like, well, if you've got the budget for a helicopter, why don't you use the budget? But it's like, what do these commenters want? They want the guys on the other side to like walk behind them like, carrying their stuff over. It seems there were 12 to 14 really highly trained and friendly staff who were just standing around while people lugged their stuff. So You maybe. just don't understand. Like, this thing about the luxury tra- – it's not public transport. It's <laughs> novelty transport. It's not No, well, if you look at the City of Melbourne releases, none of this is about transport. Victoria doesn't have an overarching transport strategy, even though they're <laughs> mandated to. Every piece of transport infrastructure in Victoria is just like an election bit, like, oh, rail thing here, this thing there like there's no overarching thing but these things aren't even um, positioned as transport opportunities they all come under the guise of opportunities to re-establish the city of melbourne as a spot for events tourism and innovation well i like all of those three things (laughs) um i think that though apparently the o-bike originally was um proposed to beleaguered former mayor robert doyle uh known Boner Lord, um, he apparently was like, no, we don't want the O-bikes, like, fuck off. And then they were like, well, we're just going to do them anyway because you actually technically can't say no. Apparently they didn't even, like, have a li- – you don't need a license to run that. So they just literally just put them everywhere. Anyway, Hugo, my contact on the inside, said that um, he's like, the hardware's gotten a lot, has improved a lot since the O-bike. The things are a lot heavier. 
<laughs> As we all remember, the O-bikes got completely pwned into the Yarra. You could do zipline over the Yarra where you, like, pick up O-bikes. That's good. That's really good. Yeah, well, there's 1,500 scooters on the road. There were only ever 500 O-bikes, and they got 0.8 trips a day. Whereas what about? the scooters are getting around 7 to 8 trips a day, so they're 14 t- times more used than the others. That math is hurting me. What about the zipline? Um, the the zipline cost $50 and lasted a month. It was absolute crap. But Sounds it, like a racket. Yeah, it was bullshit. But it, it got me thinking. Um, so the funny thing with the scooters is, yeah, like if you don't have a driver's license, you can ride it. But if you're a driver and you got your license suspended for drink driving and you have to use an interlock, you're not allowed to ride them because they're motorized vehicles. Really? And if you do wrong things on the bike, you get proper penalties. Like it's all listed on their penalty units. You can be subject to blood, alcohol content and drug testing. Um, if you ride too abreast, if you dinky, if you use, if you don't use your bell to avert danger, you can actually get picked up by the cops and then Duh, that's get to like merits on your actual li- driver's license. I, b- I put this to Hugo and I was like, I've heard anecdotally that people are getting fucked by the police. And he was like, he... It's just like a lie. They just have to fend it off. Like he was like, well, we actually do really care about our ride safety. We're stopping drunk drivers from riding them by having a cognitive test before they uh, ride after <laughs> 10. You're doing an IQ like, test yeah. at the end of your I ride. Like, um, what, I was like, what is the test? And he's like, because I, I was obviously like, well, it's obviously fucking bullshit. And he's like, it's a very complex numbers game. <laughs> like he's like, it's like an images with pictures and numbers. You can try it if you want. And I was like, it's okay. the pin for your credit card. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I I was like ready to hate on them, but after going on the scoot, I had a frankly like really good time. But like, I don't know. It's like you get an Uber to get from A to B. The Lime, it's like you get from A to B, and I I had a pretty good time. Yeah, but the the Uber's not like state sponsored on behalf of an international corporation. Mm, but spam me, real but, like, <laughs> bummer of love. Yeah, I'm real bummed. Okay, final thing is like actually the funniest thing about the scooters is the random as fuck places they get left. Um, oh, yeah. I, a, a friend of mine who was working at a in a inner city suburban brothel um, said that they saw a scooter parked out the front and when they went into the girls room and asked around if anyone had scooted in everyone said no aka some <laughs> legend who was gonna go have like a premium service with a beautiful lady decided to make a day of it and scooted in which i absolutely love if it gets you there faster um as i was scooting my lime scoot like trying to take pi- the, i was trying to take pictures of me riding it but i think it like preempted it because it was like really heavy and kind of like blocked me every time i tried to go one-handed anyway i paused for a break on uh the main road i can't remember what it's called and there was a lime scooter sneakily parked outside the huge freemasons headquarters so they are among us um yeah keep an eye out for where you see the best scooters we we've taken up enough of your time we're gonna wrap it up it's been an absolute pleasure much love to you thanks to sam lucy channon and moishi and our final track for today also from real arts bummer of love it's stock take stocklands stocklands (laughs) (laughs) i'm ready bye everyone